Hello, my name is Claire Taylor and you're very welcome to KPMG's podcast, Conversations with Auditors. The podcast where we explore the relevant issues, opportunities and new ways of working that are shaping the future of the profession. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Colin O'Brien and Alan Brommel, who will provide us with some valuable insights on private enterprise. Colin is a retired audit partner, former head of private Irish business in KPMG Ireland and a non-executive director to various private companies. Alan Brommel is a tax partner and the current head of private enterprise in KPMG Ireland. Colin and Alan, thank you very much for joining us today. Colin, I'm going to start with my favourite topic, audits. Yeah. You've worked with a vast number of private Irish businesses throughout your career. What, in your opinion, do you private businesses expect from their auditors? Well, Claire, that's a good question. You know, private clients always want, I think, more from their auditors than just an audit relationship. They want private entities by their nature have limited internal resources, so they want a holistic relationship. They want a one-stop shop to advise them to do their audit for sure and, and you know make sure their numbers are hard, but also to provide advice to them, to be their tax agents, to be their consultants, to really be a one-stop shop and, and ideally, the ultimate is to be the trusted advisor to them, the, the people they turn to whenever they've got a financial problem that they need help with. Yes, and Alan, would you see the same trusted business advisor expectations in tax? Uh, absolutely, Claire. Um, you know, our audit colleagues are often very good at talking about a KPMG audit not just being an audit. We don't use this line, but really tax advice is not just a tax calculation. It's normally the output of really protracted and complicated discussions around key decision points with private enterprise clients that can often be uh, passing on shares to the next generation, expanding into a new territory, financing, buying a business, selling a business. And all of those things really are very complicated questions which clients often look to us to help with answer. Um, not just on the tax side, but there are many commercial and, and family dynamics at play as well. Um, the other thing I'd say is in an increased world of complexity, uh, we're often having to bring in subject matter experts, such as on ESG or on digital transformation, for example. Traditionally, the main relationship with private enterprise clients is with an audit partner or with a tax partner. So you are the person that's tasked with either identifying the need for that subject matter expertise or bringing those people in at the right time. Yeah, no, I would agree. It's vital that we all work together to deliver a great quality service. And just talking about audit quality, um, Colin, it's at the heart of everything we do. And we pride ourselves in delivering high quality audit files. In your opinion, what do the current companies that you work with um, consider a high quality audit? Okay. Well, I suppose first and foremost, Claire, that the numbers are right, that the, you know, the numbers are hard, that a robust audit has been provided and you know challenge to management etc in areas that are subject to you know subjectivity but it, it's bigger than that you know if you think about it, it it's the annual opportunity that that we have as clients to meet with external ex experts who are looking at other companies and and giving us the input of what's what's the benchmark what's best practice what's coming down the track you know keep us informed esg ai all these issues that are coming at companies uh, they're complex and, and private companies in particular have limited internal expertise, so we rely on our auditors to give us that knowledge annually uh, and, and, you know, certainly to, to help us see the way forward. Yeah, I would agree. And 
what do you think the future of audit looks like um, for private businesses? Well, I think, you know, certainly uh, technology is going to be a bigger and bigger part of it. The, the old-fashioned auditor coming in and ticking with a green biro, I, I think that's going to get fall away and I think AI is going to play a much bigger part in audits going forward but I'd be interested to think what you you uh, as a practicing professional where do you see it going? I would agree Colin there's two um, emerging teams at the moment the first one is AI so all companies including private companies expect their auditors to use AI to gather process um, interpret and analyze data and um, because there's numerous benefits to us and to them you know to identify risks the second one is ESG reporting, and you can't talk about the future of audit without mentioning ESG reporting. Um, there's numerous large private companies that are going to be impacted by the CSRD in 2025, so they'll have to report on their FY25 data in FY26. And this is a significant shift in the prominence of non-financial information in financial statements for business owners and for us because we'll be providing assurance. So. You know, it is a changing landscape. Yeah, and I think that's going to be very difficult for private companies in particular because, again, they've got limited management teams, limited scale of operation. So to, to actually do the reporting, um, I think the sooner the auditors are talking to us about it, the better, so we know what's coming at us. Yeah, yeah, we everyone needs to get a grip on, on this quite early. And, Alan, looking at the economy, in your opinion, how are Irish private Irish businesses faring in an era of inflation, rising costs and macroeconomic uncertainty? Yeah, Claire. So clearly the environment isn't without its challenges at the moment and no business, uh, Irish or international, domestic or public, is, is immune from that. From what we're seeing, however, domestic businesses in Ireland are just getting on with things and continue to punch above their weight in international markets. There's also continues to be plenty of interest from investors, private equity investors in Ireland, and we continue to see that. Indeed, M&A activity is slowing down a little bit. It's taken longer to execute deals, but we're still seeing lots of inbounds from abroad into, into Ireland, into small businesses, growing businesses, established businesses in particular sectors. Um, we, we recently carried out a barometer, uh, that we call it the Enterprise Barometer, which was dealing with a lot of these issues and trying to determine how entrepreneurs and Irish businesses are feeling about some of these issues. And whilst everyone's acutely aware of the challenges, there is certainly a cautious optimism, I would say, among clients. Uh, a lot of them are looking to increase their, their staff. A lot of them are, for, are foreseeing an increase in turnover, which is great. But there's no doubt that there is a focus on costs. Um, you know, key decisions like uh, investing in CapEx, investment into other businesses, expanding abroad, etc. They're all being approached with, um, with optimism, the right level of optimism and the right level of caution, I would say. And from a government initiative and tax regime perspective, do you think there is anything more that could be implemented to incentivize and support domestic enterprise? I would say, Claire, nobody will ever answer that and say that there's nothing else that can be done. Even the policymakers have identified that. Um, the, the government, through the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment, published a really good document called the White Paper on Ireland's Enterprise Policy to 2030. And that's a really good document. One of the key themes under uh, underpinning that document is the notion that we have to continue to uh, support and develop the domestic part of the economy and bring it up to the same level as uh, the multinational or FDI sector. I suppose 
acknowledging that there are significant synergies to be met in doing that. You know, you often hear in particular in the context of the reliance on corporate tax receipts of multinationals at the moment, people think it has to be an either or, but what this document very effectively captures actually is that the two of those cohorts in the economy have to coexist and, and make each other stronger. You know, we forget that um, it's, it's still a fairly young economy in Ireland and we're only starting to see some of the benefits in the domestic part of the, of the economy now from the significant uh, multinational investment in Ireland. And by that, what I mean is you're starting to see senior executives and senior management teams emerge from multinationals and actually establish their own businesses. We're coming across a whole cohort of private companies, uh, entrepreneurs, and when you get to know them and ask about their past, you look at their CV, it's typically 10 to 15 to 20 years working in one of these multinationals and learning their trade, which, which is a really good thing for Ireland. You know, we often compare ourselves with economies like, like the UK when it comes to entrepreneurship. However, we forget that it's a much, much younger economy, right? Um, I suppose as a tax person, when, when I talk about the things that could be approved on its heart, to not you know, make a few high-level high comments on tax. Where we are right now, when it comes to the personal tax regime, um, we're looking at tax rates that were essentially introduced um, during the, um, the, the financial crisis, which is more than a decade ago. Top, top income tax rates over 50%, 33% CGT. There's definitely something that needs to be done there, acknowledging that it is tricky politically. Um, however, I think it's a win-win for everybody if that was to be challenged effectively, not only in terms of lots more businesses actually deciding to establish themselves in Ireland and stay in Ireland and remain Irish, but also um, increased uh, tax receipts. The way the government currently models you know, decreases in tax rates is to say, well, that's how much we will lose in receipts if we reduce the rate from, say, look at it, CGT, 30, 33% to 20. They project the gains that will be made over the next few years and they say we're going to lose 13% of that. The way th the budget is done at the moment, it doesn't actually do what's called dynamic modelling, which is to look at the increased activity and the stimulus that would give this part of the economy. And that's important, that's you know, particularly relevant because a lot of these businesses that we're talking about and their founders are increasingly mobile. So if Ireland doesn't have a competitive regime on the personal tax side of things, a founder potentially decides, well, I'm going to go to one of those other jurisdictions that has a more competitive regime. And actually what the Irish Exchequer then yields from that is zero because these people will not be here anymore. So it's definitely something that needs to be tackled. There were some indications that that is going to happen uh, in the recent budget and finance bill. A lot, a lot established in terms of that paper, it remains to be seen how much of it can be achieved. But if a lot of it can be achieved, we're certainly on the right track, I would say. And it is important to acknowledge th the many successes that we have had in this area and state agencies like Enterprise Ireland are, be, are to be commended for that, I would say. Uh, one of the other things that we've spent a lot of time talking to businesses and indeed government about as well is, is, is the notion that actually right now, the tax regime, to an extent, encourages entrepreneurs to dispose of their businesses and yield a capital sum in a lot of instances prematurely and one of the things the government wants to do actually is to keep these businesses under Irish ownership for longer. The problem you have at the moment is you know when, when you have an inflection point uh, for one of these um, scaling businesses for, for example they, they've, they've, they've had their first two or three years of successive profits you, you often have a founder who has never taken any money out of the company. They may not even be paying themselves. So they're suddenly looking at their balance sheet, but it's not their balance sheet, it's the company's balance sheet. 
So one of the first things that a founder would often want to do is maybe pay off the mortgage or buy a new house. The only way you can do that is take money out of the company and pay 55% income tax, right? If in the wings there's a private enterprise, there's a private equity fund talking to this founder and all things being equal, he thinks it's too soon to sell, he or she, right? They might say, well, actually, if, if I sell and leave the cash in the company, I'm looking at 33% CGT, or indeed I might get 10% entrepreneur relief. Suddenly there's an incentive through the tax regime to sell, and that's not what the government wants, that's not what the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment wants. So one of the things that we've been talking about a lot um, is the notion that actually something like entrepreneur relief, which currently only applies on selling shares, could potentially apply to certain companies and their founders when taking a dividend out of the company. And what that might do in the particular example I mentioned is you have a founder now who's paid off the mortgage, they can concentrate on the business again and you might have another three, four years of continued growth as an Irish company rather than a foreign-owned company that maybe has sub been subsumed into some other larger sure. enterprise. It's mm. a good idea. Yeah, no, that would be brilliant to see Irish entrepreneurs holding on to their companies for longer. Another issue that is facing Irish businesses at the moment, Colin, is people. How do you attract and retain the talent that you need to prosper? It's very difficult. You know, it, it's uh, we've, we've virtual full employment in the economy, as you know. We've more people working now than we've ever had. Uh, so it's a real challenge, and it's a real challenge for private businesses in particular, uh, because, you know, the, the same sort of incentives of share options are far more difficult to... Uh, to uh, work in private businesses. So uh, I guess a lot of it is about culture, uh, Claire. You know, private companies can be more caring uh, to employees, and, and a lot of it is about that. It's about making people feel valued. You know, clearly pay is an issue. You know, you've got to be competitive, but it's the softer things. You've got to be flexible. You've got to be looking at, you know, flexible working arrangements, the working from home initiatives, um, and also providing people with, with a real sense of belonging and career opportunity within an organization, even if, even a private business. And that can be done, you know, that there are ways to do it. And private businesses can, because they're not operating in the glare of outside shareholders, can be more flexible with their employees. And that's what they're having to be. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, that work-life balance piece really came to the yeah. forefront during COVID. Yeah. And um, sorry, just to go back to the private equity piece that you mentioned. So... The private equity market in Ireland has really gained strong momentum over the past decade. Why, in your opinion, has private equity become a popular source of financing for um, private businesses? Um, I, th I think it's down to a few things, Claire, and you're absolutely right. The prominence of private equity now is, um, you know, it's, 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 it's been a, a very prominent feature of the Irish marketplace in the last few years. I was thinking about this and I think it comes down to maybe three things. The, the first is by virtue of the environment we've been in the last few years, low interest rates, etc. Uh, there's never been so much private equity money actually raised and a lot of that continues to be not deployed yet, right? So there's still opportunities there. The second is, as I mentioned earlier, um, private enterprise and international investors, or sorry, private equity and international investors really like Ireland. Uh, Ireland has been popular and in particular since since Brexit and looking at how the economy has been performing in the UK you actually, we're actually seeing an increased interest among the part of the UK private equity firms in Ireland. The third looking at it from an Irish business perspective is I think there's a better understanding of now of what private equity can actually do for a business and for for its owners and um, you know it's not just financial uh, Colin we were talking about this the notion that private equity can really supercharge a business you know I have a client at the moment that's looking at private equity investment and it's not necessarily 
just financially motivated in, in terms of shareholders seeing cash from a deal. It's also about the shareholders saying, we have these really ambitious growth bands for this business. We'd like to break into particular markets, but we need the help to do that. Not just financial help, but we need a partner, right? Not just an investor, but a partner that can help us do that, who has that experience in the particular sector, because typically the private equity funds will come with sector specialists and will have particular expertise in terms of breaking into particular markets, in particular the US. The other aspect is it really helps the shareholder de-risk their position. So going back to that example I gave a while ago about a founder who has, you know, the company, everything's in the company, that's all of their wealth. So to the extent anything happens in the business or, you know, the economy, suddenly that's real exposure personally for that for that shareholder. So the idea that not only can you bring on board a partner that will help you achieve whatever you want to achieve in the business for the next three to five years, but also potentially de-risk your position reduce your shareholding and see some cash from a deal has is something that has gained increased popularity I would say with with Irish business people um, you know and I think to help all of that along y you mentioned uh, Irish private equity funds so you've the likes of Melier and Cardinal that have been established over the last few years as Irish private equity funds but you also have some of the international funds like Waterland BGF actually establishing offices locally here which I think is testament to the interest that there is in, in, in Irish businesses. And like anything else, I think succeed, success breeds more success. So if you have, you know, what we know about entrepreneurs is they all talk to each other. So as soon as you have a few positive experiences with entrepreneurs going through a process like that with private equity, that they'll talk to colleagues, they'll talk to people that they were working in the multinationals wait before they emerged from the multinationals to establish their own business. And I think it, it helps dispel some of the notions that people had about private enterprise. You know, thinking back to that, that book, The Barbarians at the Gate, you know, the notion that private equity will come in and load the company with debt and take all the money out of the company to pay down the debt and then disappear after five years and the company's gone. That's not what private equity investment has looked like, certainly in Ireland over the last few years in our experience. Yeah, no, and I mean, I suppose the other thing to remember, Claire, is like the quantum of scalable businesses in Ireland now has vastly increased. You know, I, I grew up, I started working in Ireland of the 80s, which is a long time, the 1980s, which is a long time ago, and there weren't that many scalable companies. Now there's a profusion of them, you know, the, and, and the expertise in Ireland, the culture, the business culture is, is really positive. The education standards are really high. The economy, the regulatory environment is positive. And as Alan said earlier, the, the the outflow of FDI executives and people who've trained in, in large multinationals to now start their own businesses, there's an explosion of, of Irish companies that are scalable globally, and private equity sees those opportunities. And as Alan said, it's really all about getting the right private equity partner because they, they completely turbocharge business, you know. Uh, it's, it's an enormously positive thing. Private equity, as Alan said, can be seen as being a negative, but it's not at all. It, it really enables businesses to grow and grow rapidly. Although, you know, it, it can also be just a one-way street. You know, once private equity comes in, they are always going to be looking for a way out, and that can ultimately mean the sale of a company. But then, you know, uh, and you're also seeing it now where executives, where people have started companies, had private equity investment, scaled them dramatically, sold on, and then go again. And, and remarkably, the number of entrepreneurs who are now going again, having taken significant cash off the table, reinvesting and looking to drive on more businesses. I think it's a, it's a really strong positive for the economy. It is, because it, what it does then, Colin, is it feeds some of the things we were talking about earlier, right? I'm sure the likes of Enterprise Ireland are delighted about Absolutely. the notion that you have these entrepreneurs going again. 
uh, not only are they going again, by the way, a lot of them become serial investors in their own right, yep. which again is not just a financial thing. We see lots of early stage companies actually being mentored and being supported by yeah. entrepreneurs who've been yeah. been there and done that. Yeah. So it, it can only help strengthen that part of the economy, I think. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, no, and it's great that the Irish market is being seen as such an attractive place um, for private yeah. equity investors. And Colin, um, looking at success, succession plans, um, I know that you've worked with a lot of family-run businesses, and you know maybe families might in, uh, might consider private equity in those cases. Yeah. Um, in your opinion, what are the key elements to a successful succession plan? Mm, yeah. Um, I guess it's always clear. It's all about planning, and it's all about thinking through. Not 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 you know. Uh, hitting against the buffers when, when the guy gets to 75 thinking, what am I going to do with my business? It's too late. It's all about planning and thinking about it and training the right people, educating them and training them to be in position to take over the business in due course. Um, and once you do that, it's then about communicating. And it, you know, it's not necessarily a family individual. There's a lot of private businesses now in Ireland where the succession plan is to recruit external management expertise, accepting that perhaps within the family there isn't the right people or person to drive the business forward so you can you can recruit in external management to bring it forward and then have the family take on a more shareholder uh, position if you know what i mean in the very large private irish companies that's often the way it's going so it's about planning and it's about communicating so everybody's on the same page and the family issues don't get in the way of business issues do what's right for the business plan it out communicate it and then drive on and Alan, have you got any views on that from a tax perspective? No, I, I agree with all of that. As simple as it sounds, the, one of the key things about planning for succession is actually having a plan because it's amazing the amount of um, sophisticated businesses we see that don't have a plan. And it, it's not, you know, they're sophisticated, so they know it's an issue. It's just that oftentimes it's a very emotive issue for, for founders, for shareholders to have to deal with, but the sooner the sooner the better. I suppose, obviously, you can't ignore you can't ignore taxes, Claire. When it comes to making a decision around passing on the business, to the extent that that involves passing on shares in the business, you have capital gains tax issues for the person doing that. You have capital acquisitions tax issues for children. You have the interaction between the two. You have some very valuable reliefs that could be available, but depending on the particular type of business, they may not be available, or depending on the age of the shareholder who's deciding to do this, it may be restricted or capped. You know, the government reduced a cap on retirement relief, for example, so that if you if you wait until you're into your 70s, you use 75 as an example, Colin, um, you know, the value of retirement relief uh, decreases significantly. So the sooner the better, I would say, that um, businesses start thinking about this issue. Yeah, and, and Alan's right. It is very emotive, for certainly, particularly for the founder of a company or, or an enterprise to, you know, come to a point where they begin to look at their own mortality. Uh, but they have to take it on, they have to plan. Because otherwise, the worst thing can happen, and, and, and I've seen it happen, is where there isn't a plan, and God forbid something happens to the entrepreneur, and then ultimately, often, the business will just get sold for 10 cents in the, in the dollar, if you know what I mean, for less than it's really worth. If it had been planned out properly, the long-term value to the family could be much better. Okay, so the key message there is to plan, plan, plan. Thank you, Colin. Colin, you once noted in an Irish Times article, we are a small open economy and indigenous Irish companies have to compete with the very best in the world on both domestic and export markets if they are to succeed. In your opinion, are private Irish companies competing with the best in the world and does the future look bright for private Irish companies? 
Yeah, Claire. I think. Well, I think everything we've talked about. You know, that, that's probably a while ago. I, I, I gave that quote. I say now we're a medium-sized open economy, but there's no doubt Irish companies are, are going well. Private Irish companies. You know, it's now the digital economy is a global economy. It's not the Irish economy. It's not even European. It's it's global, and Irish companies are doing it. You know, whether it's in med tech or fintech or even in food and agri, um, across all the markets, you're seeing Irish entrepreneurs and Irish-owned companies. Um, prospering and, and driving forward. And I think, you know, all the things we've seen, the state of the economy, the, the, the level of education within the economy, the finance that's available, all of those things are, are pointing out that Irish companies are doing extremely well. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very positive about the future. And any closing thoughts on that, Alan? Well, on that, uh, it's funny, you, you think back to some of the, in your time in KPMG, Colin, I say, you know, you think about companies like Icon PLC, uh, Total Produce, which goes back to, you know, previous business, and then what it did with Dole a few years ago. Um, you look at uh, Smurfit's current transaction, you say, well, all you of those... Reiner. Yeah. Reiner, right? Startup, uh, yeah. All started as private enterprise clients, and even smaller than that, I would say, and they were able to achieve what they achieved without the benefits of technology, access to markets that are now there, etc. So you say, if they could achieve that thing, why can't an Irish-born an Irish -born business achieve the same thing in today's environment? So I think it's just more of the same. And what will be the common denominator in all of that, you would hope, is the Irish attitude to these things. Um, and uh, you know the things I mentioned earlier in, in the context of the enterprise barometer around just getting on with things, I think, um, having been through things like the financial crisis and indeed COVID, which we're forgetting indeed. about now and in the Brexit. next few years, uh, and just dealing with it, but continue to, to go in whatever direction the company was going anyway, you'd hope that that will continue. Colin and Alan, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you to all our listeners. If you have any questions on the topics discussed today, please feel free to reach out to a member of the private enterprise team, or if you prefer your usual KPMG contact. Thank you.